<clears throat> right, it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank you for coming and being part of the class today. We're going to be continuing our study of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. All right, what do we say a harmony of the Gospels mean? We're taking the books of Matthew. What other books? Mark, Luke, Mark, and Luke, and John. Right, and the first two chapters of Acts, and we're studying the earthly ministry of Jesus. From the time that he was born until the time that he died, was buried and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. And so if you want to see that story in chronological order, you take the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you put them all together and you make a chronological timeline, and then you study the life of Jesus as it fell out. And that's what we've been doing for, it's been better than a year, probably almost two years now we've been studying this. And so I hope that everybody's learning something we need to remember. We need to remember a couple of things as we study our Bibles. Number one, the Bible is Christocentric. That means that it is Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. And so when you're in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we need to remember that all of those books point us to the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, all of them. And when we get to the New Testament and we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to see, like we did last week, y'all remember last week we talked about how Jesus is the good shepherd, and then we went back into the Old Testament and studied Psalms 23 about the Lord being my shepherd, remember? Mm -hmm. And so what we find out is the Old Testament points us to Christ, and Christ always points his followers to the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament is the foundation for the promises of who he is. And so there is a Christocentric nature to the Bible. It's all centered on Jesus. And when we learn to see Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the book of Revelation, when we get see him in all of the scriptures, then it becomes more... Uh, what is the word? Sanctifying it. It conforms us to the image of Christ. As we see him in the scriptures, we begin to see him in our lives. When we see him through our heart and our minds, and we receive and believe him by faith, then that starts to reflect in our lives. We start being conformed to the image of Christ. And so in the same way that the Bible is Christocentric, our lives should be Christocentric. How is that always easy? No. No, because we have all kinds of things going on. We have relationships and families and friends. And and we have to learn to just trust Him in every situation. That's not an easy task, but yep. He will help us. Very much so. And so as we've been studying, uh, we've we've also found a couple of other things. Um, one theme is, is that everyone does something with the promises of God. When the message of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, what do we call the message of Jesus Christ? The what? The word. The word, good. And what's another word for it? It means good news. What's that word that means the good news? The gospel. The gospel. When we proclaim the gospel as we are commanded, we will find that there are several reactions to that gospel, right? When you share the gospel with your friends. What, what are the reactions you get? And we see that in the life of Jesus. As Jesus walked the, the roads there in Galilee, as Jesus walked down in Jerusalem around the temple, there were reactions to his message, was there not? There were some people that received him and believed him. And then there were others who what? Thought he was demon-possessed. Thought, yeah, I thought he was no, crazy. My friends just disappeared. Right. They weren't really my friends. Yeah. So, and, and it's the same way in, in our lives, as, as Lori's bringing up here. In the same way that they treated Jesus, if you really are a child of God, if you really are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, then that means that you are a member of the body of Christ, right? The spiritual body of Christ. 
what do we call the spiritual body of Christ? The church. The church, church. good. And Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the body. Jesus is the bridegroom that makes us the bride. And so there is a spiritual bond between all true believers, and that spiritual bond is found in Christ and in his promises. And what did they do with Jesus when he came and proclaimed those promises? Some people received him. Some people believed him. Some people spit on him and nailed him to a tree. All right. Well, if you are in the spiritual body of Christ now today in the present world that we live in, guess what? The world, the flesh, and the devil are going to do the same things to the spiritual body of Christ that they did to the physical body. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in the same way they treated our master, our Lord, that's what the word Lord means, in the same way that they treated him, he promised us that we would be treated the same way. And the more you stand for Christ, the more you stand against the world. And the more you stand against the world, the more hard it's going to become, the more the world's going to treat you bad and, and, and reject you in the same way that they rejected Christ. So we need to remember these things as we read in this story. We see those that receive Jesus and believe him, and we see those that reject him. Now, we also see people who are kind of stuck in the middle, don't we? That They're not sure yet. Is this really the Christ? You know, there's the, the crowd that's on the fence, if you will. And last week when we were together, let's look in John 10. Um, Jesus said in John 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. All right? It's weird. I just read that some more. John 10, verse 14, he said, I lay my life down for sheep, but I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. All right? So we need to remember one of the things is that as Jesus proclaims that message, there are going to be people on the fence. They don't know if they believe or not, right? Well, if they truly are him, his... What will they do? If they truly are his and they're on the fence, what are they going to do? Follow. They're going to turn away from the world and follow him. Mm -hmm. If they truly are his sheep, if we truly are his sheep, we're going to turn away from sin and self and we're going to turn to Christ. So what does that mean? It means we're going to turn away from the world. So is there such a thing as a person who is a Christian that is uh, hooked on drugs? Yes. Is there such a thing as Christians who are caught up in sexual immorality? Yes. Yes. Is there such a thing as Christians who doubt whether they're Christians or not? Yes. Yes. But if they truly are a child of God, if they really have a new heart, then it's going to be evidenced by their continual turning away from the world and turning back to Christ. It's going to be evidenced by their being conformed to the image of Christ. So, I challenge each and every one of you in this room to look in the mirror. All of us in this room come from some tough stuff, some some rough backgrounds. Mm -hmm. The question you need to ask yourself as you look in the mirror is, am I being conformed to the image of Christ or am I still stuck in the world? Am I still living in the world or or am I constantly being conformed to the image of Christ? Do I find my desires being drawn more and more to his word and his truth than I do to this world and the old way that I used to live? 
And if the answer is yes, then thank him and pray to him and ask him for more grace to continue to be conformed. But if the answer is no, then what does he tell us to do? Repent and believe the gospel. Stop trusting the world, turn away from sin and self, and turn to Christ and his promises. And so we see these people that are on the fence. And Jesus says what? I lay my life down for my sheep. Therefore, if I died for them, they will come. They will hear my voice. They will believe me. They will receive me and they will come. And as we look at the rest of the earthly ministry of Jesus, we're going to see that playing out just as we've seen it in the past. Jesus proclaims the promises of the truth. Some people receive him. Some people believe him. Some people reject him and some people seek to kill him. Right. Why do they want to kill him? Or his people. Right. Why do they want to kill him? The Bible says because they are willfully suppressing the truth. They're trying to do whatever they can to get away from the truth. They're evil. Yep, and they are evil. And so, um, last time we were together, we finished up Jesus saying that he gave his life for his sheep. Remember? And he said, my sheep know my voice, and when they hear it, they will come. Right? My sheep know my voice, and when they hear it, they will come. All right, and so last time we were together, we spoke of the scope and the efficacy of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. When you look in a scope, what are you looking in? Looking at something to make it way bigger. Let's magnify it. Oh. What is it? Oh, what, a scope, when, something far up. Okay, or, or the scope. What do I mean when I the say the scope? Thing. The whole thing, the range, okay? Uh, so if if I, I look I'll at a scope, if I if I shoot <laughs> rifles, if any of y'all you, uh, you was in the military, you M60. look yeah M sixty right now you look down you had a fire a firing sight and you look down that sight and you were looking you were scoping in on what you wanted to shoot you were there was a target in mind so when we talk about the scope of the death of Jesus we're talking about who he died for. All right. Now, there's many people that tell you that he died for everybody in the entire world. Mm-hmm. That Jesus died for everybody in the entire world. All right? They'll say, oh, well, God so loved the world that he gave his own. Well, it is true that he does love the world. But the reality is, look what he says. I lay down my life for my sheep. So who did Jesus die to save? His sheep. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the scope of his death on the cross. The scope was I lay my life down for my sheep. Now, when we say the efficacy, the efficacy of his work on the cross, if something is effective, what does that mean? It works. It works. That's exactly right. I take a Zyrtec um, about every other day for my allergies, right? It is very effective to keep me, my nose from getting stopped up and me being able to breathe, especially in the fall and the spring. What is it? Uh, Zyrtec. It's a oh. it's a allergy medicine. I take one a day, and it's very effective. Matter of fact, if I don't take it for a couple of days, my nose gets stopped up, and I start getting drainage in the back of my throat, and my throat starts getting sore, and I'll get sick. You see? So it's an effective medication. What does it mean when I say something has efficacy? What does that mean? It has efficacy. Evidence? No. It's effective. It has efficacy. What does that mean? If something is effective. I just used that definition with my medication. What does that it mean? Works. It works. 
So what that means is when Jesus died on the cross, it was efficacious. It worked. Every person that he died on that cross to save was covered in the blood of Christ in that death. His death paid for how many of their past sins? Few, past, all, present, and future. All of their sins. <clears throat> so it works. And look what he said. I lay down my life for I have sheep. Where my sheep exactly? know me and I know my sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. All right. Now that word know is a very intimate word. It's the same word that Adam knew his wife. Right. I know Lori. But I'm not allowed to know Lori in the same way that her husband does. There's an interposition between you and your husband that you and I don't have. We're friends. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know each other in those ways. But there's an intimacy in a wedding relationship that's only between a husband and a wife. And nobody else is supposed to know their husband uh, the way they do, right? Nobody's supposed to know their wife the way they do. That would mean that there was adultery going on. Okay. Jesus knows his people in an intimate way. How much? How intimate is that knowledge? Our heart. Uh-huh. Our heart. Good. Let, let, let's look and see how intimate that is. Turn with me back to John six. John chapter six. That's just a few pages back to your left, and we're going to start in verse four, thirty-five. John six and verse thirty-five. Oh man, I went too far back. All right. Everybody there? John six thirty-five. It says this. Yes. I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me uh, will ever be thirsty again. But as I've told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. So who is he talking to right there? Believers or non-believers? He's actually talking to both. But he's addressing the non-believers. But as I've told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe me. Now watch this in verse 37. Everyone that the Father gives me will come to me. All right, tell me what that means. Everyone that the Father gives to me will come to me. What does that mean? The people that the Father has in the book of life will be sent to Good. Jesus. So, the Father already picked us. gives the bride to his son. Y'all remember the story of Isaac and, and Abraham? How Abraham sent and got him a wife? He gave that wife to his son. He presented his son with a wife. And did Isaac know his wife? Yeah, they had a baby named Jacob. And Esau, right? So... This is saying that everyone that the Father gives to Jesus will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. So how many people that turn to Jesus and come to him will Jesus reject and cast out? None. Not a single one. And he won't lose us, neither. He won't lose us. We'll see that in just a second. But think about what he's saying right there. He's saying that the Father gives a gift to me. That gift is my bride. That gift is my people. And every single one of those that he gives me will come to me. And I will not reject a single one of them. But, does that mean that everybody comes to Jesus? No, because he's saying right here, there's some that don't believe him, right? Now watch what he says next. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. So what is the will of God the Father? 
that Jesus not lose a single one of those people that he gave to him. So if one of Jesus' people is in hell today, then that means that the will of God has been broken. Because Jesus just said his father's will that he is that he lose not a single person. That's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? So how many people, do, how many sheep does the good shepherd lose? None. Not a single one. That means throughout all eternity, there is not one of Jesus' sheep burning in hell today with Jesus grabbing hair going, oh no, I died to save old Charlie, and there he is burning in hell. <laughs> Charlie, Why? sorry. Why? Because every single person that the Father has given to the Son will hear his voice and will come to him. And how many will he lose? None. Not one. Okay, now look what it says next in verse 39. This is the will of him that sent me that I should lose none of them that he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Now, when is the last day? We don't know. I mean, we don't know the date, but what is the last day? When Jesus comes When back. he returns back and we have the general judgment, right? It should That's be the, tomorrow. Right? It's the way of, well, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? right. <laughs> but what is it, what's going to happen on that day? The angels are going to come and separate the... Sheep from the goat. All right. So are the angels going to miss one? Are the angels going to let a goat slip into the sheepfold? No. Nope. Is one no. of the sheep going to fall out of the sheepfold into the goatfold? No. Mm-hmm. No, because the angels are coming and separating. And how do the angels know who are his? Because they know Because they've been sealed with his spirit. They know who his children are. You see, then he says this, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So the will of the father is that every single person that sees the son and believes on him will be raised up on the last day. Therefore, the Jews started grumbling about him and said, uh, because he said, I am the bread of heaven, and they came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say that he has come down from heaven? Jesus answered among them and said, stop grumbling among yourselves. Now watch this in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's read that again, verse 44. Listen to what Jesus says, and he's saying this to me and you and the whole world. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, does that say no one may come to me? Or no one can come to me? What does it say? No one can. No one can. can. What's the difference in can and may? Because if, if you're only looking to gain permission, you could do it anyway. But if you can't, it's because God's stopping you. Okay, good. So y'all all remember when you were in school as a kid and you asked the teacher, can I go to the bathroom? You can go to the bathroom, but the question is... May you go to the bathroom? See, you can wet your seat at your desk. You can go to the bathroom. The question that you really need to ask the teacher, teacher is what? Do I have permission to go to the bathroom? May I go to the bathroom? Not can I. And this says can. No one can come to the Father, uh, to the Son, unless the Father draws it's him. It's not possible. So what that means is there are people out there that the Father is not drawn to the Son. And they can't come. What that means is if you're in this room and you believe today, it's because the Father 
gave you to the Son as a gift. And the Son came and claimed that gift by dying on the cross to redeem you. And every single person he died to save on that cross will be saved. All right? That's a very important thing. So when we talk about the scope of the work of Christ on the cross, who did Jesus come to die to save? John 10 says, I lay down my life for my sheep. So what is the scope of his death on the cross? To save his sheep. What is the efficacy of his death on the cross? That everyone that he died to save will be saved. And not a single one of them will be lost. Explain this. Why should we be fishers of men? Good. Beautiful question. If they're all going to be saved anyway, what's the point of us even going out and sharing the gospel? Okay? Because God uses broken men to accomplish his perfect will. And God's command to us as his sheep is to hear his voice and follow him. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. What does that mean? It means that we now have the promise and we are commanded to go out and share that promise with who? The whole world. world. All right. So what is the scope of the gospel? The scope being what is the target for you as a believer? Who is your message to go to? Everybody. Everyone. Every corner Good. of the earth. And what does that message look like? It's the word of God. So who am I to share that with? Everybody. Everyone. But as we're doing that, we are being shaped to live in the kingdom of God. We are learning from Jesus by doing his We are sheep. We are followers. But we are also sharing that promise with others. Why? Because watch. Now that, I'll that tell leads, you why. That leads perfectly in. Let's go back to John 10. And look at what he says in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. So what Jesus is saying is there's one flock. Who is the flock? His sheep. And some of that flock was Jewish. And some of that flock is Gentile. You can argue and say that there's no race now. Except the eternal race of the sons of God. That Jew and Gentile doesn't matter anymore. Black and white doesn't matter anymore. It's who did Jesus die to save. They are the 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 sons of God. That is the eternal race. The eternal race are the sons of God. Not Jew, Gentile, not Japanese, Chinese, not Filipino, not... You see how that works? It's about his people. That's going to last forever. Your earthly racial distinction is not as important as your eternal racial distinction, which means, am I a son of God? And what Jesus... it's 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 all predestined, but we're still supposed to try. Now, it's not about trying. It's trusting. See, God commands you that... Now, if you are a believer, if you're a born-again, blood-bought child of God, the reason you are is because someone shared the promise of God with you through His Word, and His Holy Spirit changed your heart. 
the means that God uses to get the gospel out is broken and fallen men like me and you. And we are commanded to go out and share that. So one of the illustrations I was trying to use with with that the other day, I was sharing with some people at another class. You, you ever seen the, the old gold miners, how they would take this pan and they go out into the river and they dig down in the rock and they shake everything out? And what's supposed to be left after you shake it all out? Okay, so imagine the gospel be in that pan. Actually, that pan would be the Holy Spirit. And the gospel is our shaking that pan. We're not really shaking the Holy Spirit, but the point being is, is that there is a sifting going on. The Holy Holy Spirit can be the water. Yeah. Sifting the dirt. Yep. Sifting yeah. the dirt. And we go out and share the message, and what's happening is, it is being revealed before our very eyes who are the sons of God and who are not. So the gospel goes out, and that gospel reveals who the sons of God are. I just never never looked at it, it, it really uh, understood that passage in that in that light, but to me it kind of reminds me of like why go vote, man? Because you know whoever's was going to be is, is going to be, you know. So right. I mean, well, when it comes to voting, the voting is uh, as a right we have as yeah. American citizens. You have the right not to go vote. Mm-hmm. But if you are a child of God, you are commanded by your official eternal government to go out and share that message with others. You just do what I told you to do. And but right. I'll take care of now, the rest. You know. So what that means is you can and you may. Both. Right. You may go share and you can share. As a child of God, you have the promise living in you and you have the word of God. You can share that promise with other people. Well, I mean... Now, I- may you... Yes, you have permission to do that. Will you is another question. Are there children of God that just say, well, I got my fire insurance. Now I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to worry about everybody else. Right? Well, they're doing the same exact thing you're saying by saying, well, I just ain't, you know, why go out and bother if God has already done all of that? Because the reason, one of the reasons being is, because somebody shared it with you. And there has been a succession of the efficacy of the gospel throughout it. History. In other words, the re, um, Heather brought it up in the Vienna class. She would ask me about the Reformation, right? These people stood up in a time when it would cost you your head to stand up against the organized church. And a lot of them were died and burned at a stake to get the true message out. And if you've ever really thought about it, every one of us in this room today who are truly believers, every one of us in here, can thank one of the apostles because the apostles wrote the words down that Jesus said and went out and died for that message. So because they went out and did what they were supposed to do, what they were commanded to do, the gospel works. Now, are they the one that makes it work? No, it's the Holy Spirit and the promise of God that makes it work, but we are the tools. So, it is the hand of God that makes the message work, but we are the tools in his hands that he uses to get it done. Does that make sense? And a lot of tools don't work all the time, do they? Like tools break, right? And we're human beings and we're flawed. And so what you've seen over the all of the history of the world is 
God using broken people to get his perfect will done. Like he's using busted, broken up people like us to get what he wants done. And despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite our uh, cowardice, if you will, despite our unwillingness to live for him, he's still getting his message across to the people that need to hear it. And that's what he's trying to explain to these people right here in 10. So what he said, look, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. At this point in the gospel message, the message is not really going towards the Gentiles. It's going towards the Jews. Why? Because the Old Testament promises that that's the way it's going to be. And the New Testament opens up our eyes to the mysteries of that promise. See, when you go back and you read the Old Testament, now you come in and you look at it through the lenses of the New Testament, you realize that the plan all along was for the Messiah to come from what race of people? The Jews. The Jews. Then, if you read the Old Testament prophets, what you'll find out is the Messiah is going to come through them, they're going to reject him, and then he's going to turn to another people. Who are the people he's going to turn to? Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, if you continue to read, when you read in the book of Romans and Paul in Romans 10, 9, 10, 11, you'll find out this. One day, the Jews are going to wake up and go, wait a minute, that's our Messiah. You Gentiles can't have him. And what it, Paul says is it's going to pr- provoke the Jews to jealousy. They're going to turn around and look and see the Gentile people have their Messiah. And what are they going to do? They're going to turn back to him too. And so you're seeing that happening. That's the way that the plan was all along. So right here in John 10, when Jesus says that I have other sheep that are not of this fold, he's talking about the Gentiles. And he said, I must, look what he says. He said, I must bring them also. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now remember, if you are a believer, you are part of the body of Christ. And so what is the body of Christ doing today? What he said he was going to do. What did he say he's going to do? I got other sheep that are not as full, and I must go and get them, and they must hear, and they must follow too. See what he said? I must bring them also. So now, to answer your question, if it's already predetermined, why do we go out and do it? Because we are the body of Christ, and he has said that he must go out and bring them into the fold. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So in verse 17. That gives us purpose, too. It certainly does. And hope. And hope. Right? In the same way that he saved you, he will save your family and your friends and the people that you come into contact with. Right? So this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. So Jesus said he has complete control over his own life. And he willfully comes and lays down his life for people. Now, if you remember, so we like to think that we have control over our lives. But the truth of the matter is, I worked for eight years on a suicide unit at a a mental hospital. And those people, even though they were trying to take their life, they didn't have the control to do it. They tried. But they couldn't. Why? It wasn't their time. Now, did some of them eventually commit suicide? Yes. Yes. But even their rebellion and trying to take their own life was in God's hands. He allows it to happen. So, may I take my life? Can I take my life? Right? No, you can't take your life. 
because all souls belong to God. I, I get tickled all the time. I see all, all these, souls. all these, I see all, all these conspiracy souls. people all the time saying, "Oh well, that the guy must have sold his soul to the devil, right?" Well, the Bible says God says all souls are mine. So, but so if they own, if they're owned by God, him. how can you sell it? You see. Mm-hmm. But still, some of those souls will be thrown into the lake of fire because it's well, the God's will. Well, sure. So, when we think about that, so why is the devil doing what he's doing, Ronnie? I mean, he hates you know God. He's he pure evil. Win. He's pure evil. But he knew from the beginning he. Can't. Why did you do the thing that you did? You knew you couldn't win. Oh, I didn't. I was lost. Well, so is he. He's the son of perdition. He is completely turned against God and will never turn back. He's he. Uh, Points himself as God's equal, though. He he says he is. So he doesn't know that he can't win. He he wants to be God. He knows. I know he. I, I know all of that, but he must know he can't win. So so I got I got something I'm gonna put on the table, and it's a question that my father asked me. Okay. And my daddy my daddy's what if questions, and he said what if what if Lucifer. Ask for forgiveness, what will happen? And you know, you just answered it saying that he would never, he's never going to never turn. So, well, well, this is what here, here you go. What if the devil were to repent and to turn back? Would Jesus forgive him? Well, if you go to the book of Revelation, you see that it has already been prophesied according to God's word that he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, if he, so if he were to repent, that means that the book of Revelation, the promise in the book of Revelation, had been broken. Yeah, it ain't happening. So it ain't happening. No. No. It's already been written. Usually when you find folks that are asking what-if questions, put them in the middle of that what-if question because they're trying to find a loophole. Yeah. Right? They're trying to find a reason why they don't have to believe. That's usually the case. And so... Um. We look again, he says, I have the right to lay it down. Now, remember when Jesus was on the cross, it says that, that that he said, it is finished. And then it says, then he gave up his spirit. We as human beings don't have the ability to just give up our spirit. Jesus is God. He has that ability. Well, he gave it so, or he... when you when you ask, when you hear people say that, well, the Jews killed Jesus, or... The Romans killed Jesus. Or our sins killed Jesus. The reality is is that Jesus laid his life down for his sheep. He gave up his own life. Had he not willfully given up his spirit on that cross, he would have never died. So it was all a part of his plan. So despite, was it the will of the Jews to nail Jesus to the cross? Yes. Was Was it the will of the Romans to nail him to the cross? Mm-hmm. Right? Was the people that were screaming out crucify and crucify was it their desire for him to die on that cross? It was. Yeah. It was God's will. But despite their will, God's will was done. God's will always overrides man's will. That should humble us and make us realize that God is in control and we're not. Yeah. And if we're a sheep, we'll yield to that and trust him. You see, if we really are a sheep, we'll yield to the fact that God is in control of the God's earth. will for Judas to do what he did. Yes. Well, his, 
So there's a big difference in God's decorative will and God's permissive will. All right, let me give you an example of that. <clears throat> Is God's will expressed in the Ten Commandments? The yeah. Ten Commandments. Yes. Yes. That that is the declaration of His will. Mm-hmm. So is His will, Thou shalt not kill. Yes. Okay. Yep. So God's decorative will, what He says is His will, is don't kill anybody. So His decorative will is Thou shalt not kill. But His permissive will, what He allows, He's not the cause of it. He allows it to happen. His permissive will was for Jesus to die on the cross. Actually, it is a decorative will, too. You you see how that works? Like, he allowed Judas to sell him out. He allows evil. He is not the cause of evil, but he allows evil. Through his permissive will, he allows bad things to happen. But everything he decrees is his will. Don't steal, don't kill. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God with all your heart and mind and soul strength. That's his decorative will. His permissive will is to allow you to do what you will. Right? So, his will, his decorative will is for you to gather on the Lord's Day and go to church. That's the creed. That's a decorative will for you to meet with fellow believers and go to church. His permissive will is you can choose to go or not. But you, using your own will, will never override his will. Like, human beings do not have the ability to supersede the will of God. So when we talk about this term, the... uh, irresistible grace that God's grace is irresistible what does that mean it means that if he died to save you you will be saved it's going to happen if we're one of his sheep we ain't going to be able to resist it yes now do we resist his will All all the time but in the end his will will override our will that is why that is why Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again. Because Nicodemus's will before he's born again is to hate God and suppress the truth. A unregenerate person. What do I mean when I say an unregenerate person? What does that word mean? To be unregenerate. None of his works comes to anything. Okay. What does it mean to say that a man is unregenerate? Mm-hmm. Not generating nothing. It means that he's never been born again. So, he is a son of Adam, but he's not a son of God. How many people that walk the earth are sons of Adam? Everybody. Everybody. How many people are sons of God? Only those who have been regenerated. The flock. Only those who have been regenerated. What do I mean when I say regenerated? Sheep. Well, Sammy. Huh? Sam. What do I mean by that? Remember what he told Nicodemus. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born born again. again. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are 
born again. What do I mean when I say regenerate? You have been born again. All right? So, every son of Adam is born with a fallen nature that rejects God and hates God and wants His will instead of God's will. How many? Hmm? How many sons of Adam are born unregenerate? All. All. And how many of those unregenerate sons of Adam want their will instead of God's will? All. All. But when you are born again, when the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart and changes you and makes you a child of God, whose will do you want then? God's will. God's will. But it took God's will to change your heart. You can't do that with your own willpower. Jesus said you must be born again. Right? That means you have to have a new birth. How many people do you know that were born using their own willpower? Zero. Nobody. It really wasn't even your parents' willpower. They consummated their marriage and you were uh, generated from that consummation. But you were born dead in trespassing and sin. What does that mean? Because your mom and dad are children of Adam, when you were born, you were born a child of Adam. And guess what all of Adam's kids have in common? They all die. Sin. Sin and they all die. So why did Jesus say you must be born again? Because sons of Adam don't inherit the kingdom of God. Who inherits the kingdom of God? Sons of who? Jesus. Son of God. So you have to be born again. And that new birth is an act of the will of God. When he changes your heart, then you become willing. And there's no way around that. So, there are a lot of people that go around and preach to the wills of men. Oh, you need to believe in him. You need to just give your heart to Jesus. When in reality, the command is repent because your heart is wicked and you need to turn to Christ. You need a new heart and only God can give that to you. And you need to recognize that you can't do it on your own and you need to turn away from you trying to do it and turn to God who will. And here's the cool thing. If you do, if you repent, if you turn back to God, then it shows that he changed your heart. Because the only person that will turn back to God is one who has a new new heart. Mm -hmm. You see how that works? So how do you know if you're a sheep? You'll hear his voice and you'll what? Follow. Follow. And you can't follow the shepherd if you're following the world. No man can serve two masters because he'll love one and hate, hate the, the other. other. Right? We're just talking about this with. I'm mean, just talk. We'll finish with this today. <clears throat> I was just talking about this with that group from the Savannah Mission uh, the other night, and we were studying the destruction of Sodom. Y'all remember that story? How the angel come and grabbed Sodom and his wife and his two daughters and drug them out of that city, and then Lot's wife turned around and looked back, and she died. She became a pillar of salt. Why did she look back? Because there was a few good she people out in her mind and she no, wanted she to leave. She loved the world. She, she missed that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. She liked it in Sodom. She was comfortable there. She had a nice house with, with the furniture that she liked. And she had her little nest. And 
she had her little social group, her little tea parties and, and whatnot. She was caught up in that that world and that culture. And I, I was talking with those guys the other night, and we, there's about four guys, about four guys, pictures on the wall with memorial service photos. And every one of those guys, almost to the T, were heroin addicts. They, they came there and they stayed for eight months and got sober and stayed there for eight months and left and went back out into the streets and got hold of some fentanyl or got hold of some heroin. Well, they had been off of heroin for eight months, and what did they do? They tried to take a dose that they had been taking before they got sober. They, mm-hmm. they died. That is exactly the so point. Ronnie, that is exactly the point Jesus is making. Now, I I, I want to believe that all four of those young men were born again Christians. And made a mistake. Not a mistake. No, not a mistake. A willful decision to look back to their old world. Mm-hmm. And God killed them for it. Took them home. Took them home. So you understand, so Jesus in Luke eleven thirty seven said this, the second shortest verse in the Bible, remember Lot's wife. Jesus had been talking to a group of Israelites and was telling them that there was a destruction that was fixing to come down on the city of Jerusalem and they needed to remember Lot's wife. What was he saying? Remember the- when that destruction comes, run and do not look back. And unfortunately, as fallen human beings, we have a, a complete tendency to continue to live in the right. past, don't we? Yeah. And How, and I, 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 don't, I, I bet you there is not a single person in this room that can honestly say that every day your mind don't go back to your old lifestyle. And remember, and remember, occasionally, but not. remember the fun stuff, the fun stuff. Remember our friends that are still there. You see? And so what is he saying? We have to turn away from the world and turn to Christ and follow him. The world is on a path for destruction. Christ is on the path for eternity. And we need to keep our eyes fixed. I got to say, there's nothing I miss about that. Amen. That's wonderful. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And we need to walk towards eternity and don't look back. And he promises that all of his sheep will do exactly that. Now, do sheep go astray? Yeah. Do sheep get lost? Yeah. Do sheep need a rod of correction? Yeah. Yes. Do sheep get hungry and starved and malnourished? Yeah. Do do sheep try to get off on their own and get away from yeah. the fold? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we have a good shepherd that's, that's promised. That's we're sheep and we're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that when the Bible uses the term that we are all like sheep and gone astray, when he's saying we're sheep, that's not a compliment. That doesn't mean we're cute and have little fluffy little tails. Yeah, I mean, what it dumb. means is we're knuckleheads. <laughs> we're ignorant and we, we're we self-destructive. Right. And we have to have the good shepherd and we have to follow him. Amen. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we've had together today. Thank you for loving and caring for us. Thank you for sending your son uh, to save broken folks like us. Thank you for allowing him uh, to die in our place and help us to continue to receive that message and believe that message, uh, walk in that message, and share that message with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.